This is Romans 5, verses 15 through 19. But the gift of God is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me say a, a brief word of prayer for us. Father in heaven, I pray that as um, we open up your word, that you would remind us of the good news that you would remind our hearts and minds of that this morning, Lord. Maybe that you would even communicate that to someone for the first time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, as I begin this morning, um, I want to ask the question, who is the second most important person in the Bible? Now, we know that the most important person is Jesus, but who is the second most important person? I wonder how you would answer that question. So maybe some of us would say Moses, because he seems to be kind of the biggest figure in the Old Testament, or maybe Father Abraham, who's the father uh, of, of not only um, all the Israelites, but spiritually the father of all who had faith in Jesus. Or maybe you might say it's the Virgin Mary. Now, I would argue that the New Testament actually gives us an answer to this question, and the answer is Adam. Adam is the most significant figure in the Bible in terms of the effect that he had in our story. Even though the scriptures also teach, as I was just saying to the kids, that Christ and what he did is infinitely more significant. I want to ask you to grab a Bible or open a Bible app to our reading today from Romans 5. If you would do that, just grab a Bible. I'll give you a moment. All right. Now, I thought 
Um, this reading from Romans 5, um, which Be- Bev uh, did a telling so beautifully for us, um, would be um, edifying for us to focus on since we recently looked at the fall of man in Genesis 3. And here in Romans 5, the Apostle Paul discusses um, that, that passage from Genesis 3 through the lens of the gospel. He shows us how all of us are connected back to that sin of Adam as evidenced by our own sin, uh, which, is, which is the bad news part of the gospel, but also um, how we've been offered the free gift of reconciliation with God by faith in Christ, which is the glorious good news, of course. In describing original sin, one preacher I read put it this way. He said, think of it like a computer virus, malware, malicious software that is cleverly introduced into one computer, and that computer communicates it one to another until before you know it, every computer in the company is corrupted and headed toward collapsing the whole operating system. He goes on to say the radical change that took place in Adam and Eve was sort of like that. It's been replicated and passed down the human genome operating system from that day on. And we're all born corrupted by sin and spiritually disconnected from the author of life. Amen. So if we've been corrupted by sin, and that's been passed on through natural birth, the only solution, according to Jesus, is to be born again through supernatural rebirth, born again of the Spirit. A few weeks ago, we were doing some Q&A, some live Q&A on Zoom about the fall of man in Genesis 3, and someone asked whether human beings are punished for the sin of Adam or for our own sins. And I said that I believe that the Bible teaches both. And here in Romans 5, this is one of our clearest examples of this point. So look down with me, if you would, at verse 12. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. So it's like a virus. It spread to all men because all sinned. So this is talking about Adam sinning as a representative member of the whole human family, which spread death. It spread the penalty of death to all men. The theologians of the Reformation had a term for this, for Adam's special representation of the entire human race. They called it federal headship, Uh, federal denoting a kind of centrality and headship denoting a position of authority. Now, we might be thinking, well, that's not really fair. I don't want to be held accountable for the sin of my great, 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 many more greats, grandfather. And strictly speaking... That's not really the way that sin and guilt usually works in the Bible. So, for example, if you read Ezekiel 18, you'll see that the prophet denounces the idea that children suffer for the sins of their parents. That that's not um, the way that it's supposed to work in God's economy. Nevertheless, the Bible teaches that there's something special. There's something foundationally special about the sin of Adam that caused a cataclysmic downfall for the whole human race. Now, you may still not like that idea, and I think we might have a general grieve, like a genuine grievance before God if we ourselves sort of had a clean record uh, apart from the sin of Adam. 
If somehow we had remained sinless in all, in all ways except through original sin. But none of us can say that, can we? So it's actually a moot point because we all know very well that we've added our own sin and guilt to the equation. G.K. Chesterton writes that certain liberal theologians dispute original sin, which is the only part of Christian theology which can really be proved, he says. He says some of them are willing to admit divine sinlessness, which they cannot see even in their dreams, but they essentially deny human sin, which they can see in the streets. So as an example of this, um, I'll bet most of us can remember a time, perhaps from our childhood, when we stole something that didn't belong to us, maybe from a store or from a friend's house, I don't know. Um, But I know I did this. Um, But I can also remember a time when I was about nine years old and I was falsely accused of stealing. And my best friend and I had ridden our bikes to a convenience store to buy a package of basketball cards Um, with some loose change we had. We had our pockets full of just like pennies and nickels and stuff. Um, But once we got to the back of the store, we realized that we didn't have enough money. So we just sort of looked at the packs of the shiny packs of cards for a while, and then we just started to leave. And just then, the shop owner stopped us and uh, said, young men, I saw you back there for a while. You didn't take something that didn't belong to you, did you? And, uh, and even though me and my friend were innocent of the crime, like all the blood drained out of our faces and we sort of stammered and pleaded with him that we were innocent, uh, that we'd done nothing wrong. And we left the shop somehow feeling strangely guilty, uh, even though we hadn't done what he thought we had done. Uh, after that, we were so incredulous about being falsely accused that we avoided going back to that store for years. Now, looking back um, upon reflection, I'm not sure we had much of a reason to truly feel incredulous. And and here's why. Um, After all, hadn't me and my friend both stolen things before? Right? It, It was not just some representative human being who had stolen forbidden fruit like way back in the day. We ourselves had stolen. And if so... Why would it shock us to find the shopkeeper viewed our little nine-year-old selves as potential thieves? We were thieves. Similarly, I think we can only be so incredulous when it comes to the sin of Adam, when we all know very well that we've added our own sin and guilt to his many times over. And we've done so not just because someone misjudged us or misperceived what we were doing. We've done so through our own deliberate fault. As the confession in the Kenyan liturgy proclaims, we have corrupted ourselves and damaged your likeness by rejecting your love and hurting our neighbors. To pray this is nothing more than to admit that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 And this is a basic tenet of the gospel, guys. It's the bad news that we all have to be man enough or woman enough to admit before we're able to receive the good news. Unless we want to fall into the trap of the Pharisees who thought that they were not in need of the good physician because they didn't seem to believe that they had the virus. 
That's why as we read on in Romans 5, verse 14 talks about our own sins in a way that's distinct from the sins of Adam. It says, yet death reigned. So remember, death, the punishment introduced by Adam's sin is reigning, but death reigned, it says, from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So here it's talking about the sinning of those who are not representatives of all humanity, whose sin only counts for themselves, unlike Adam, who it says was a type of the one who was to come. And here's where the good news comes in, because there's another federal head that is introduced into the human story, our Lord Jesus Christ. We see this in verse 15, where Bev so beautifully started us today. Instead of the death sentence being passed on to us through Adam, one that our own sinful deeds were deserving of anyway, here it talks about the free gift that can be passed on to us through Christ. It says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. Paul wants us to say that it's far superior For if many died through one man's trespass, the federal headship of Adam passed on that death. By the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, uh, 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 sorry, excuse me, much more have the grace of God and the free gift. There's that phrase free gift again. By the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ abounded to the many. The beautiful gift of free forgiveness that comes to us through the federal headship of Christ. And if salvation is a free gift, guys, then it means that it's actually not of ourselves. We didn't get it ourselves, and we don't maintain it ourselves. It comes to us from the outside, right? From a Savior who came to save people who knew they needed to be saved. We have nothing to contribute to our salvation, nothing except that is for our sin, that's the only ingredient that we added to the mix. As John Stott put it, we did the sinning, he did the dying. He died bearing in his own innocent person the condemnation that we deserved. So the wages of sin is death, and Christ paid those wages in our place. This, brothers and sisters, is what the theologians call the substitutionary death of Christ. He substituted himself for us. Now, there are some who despise this doctrine, but I think it is the most glorious and beautiful good news. In fact, I think all people would agree if they could only bring themselves to believe in the divinity of Jesus, if they could only bring themselves to believe that the one who died on the cross was not only fully man, but also fully God, Christ was not some tragic victim of human circumstance or or some forced victim of divine child abuse, but he laid down his life on his own accord. That's what Jesus says in his own words on John 10, 18. Dorothy Sayers puts it this way in this, this astonishing good news. She says that God should play the tyrant over man is the dismal story of unrelieved oppression. That man should play the tyrant over man is the usual dreary record of human futility. But that man should play the tyrant over God and find him 
a better man than himself, is an astonishing drama indeed. It is for this reason that the Apostle Paul can say that it was a free gift, guys. For no one could force the hand of the Almighty Son of God. It is a gift offered to every human being straight from his own beating heart. But, and this is of crucial importance, it's not a gift that applies automatically. We may not have contributed anything to the cost of the gift, but the free gift must be opened. And how do we open it? How do we accept this free gift of grace? The scriptures teach us by faith. That's how we accept the free gift. By trusting God at his word and trusting him and receiving that these glorious promises are actually true. Earlier on in this passage, at the beginning of his argument, Paul says in Romans 5 verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, now we like this idea of federal headship. Verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So the free gift, it says, can be opened at any time by anyone. How? By faith in Christ. Later this morning, we'll hear a testimony from John Orsell about how Christ saved him from sin and death and gave him new life. And brothers and sisters, this gift is available to all of us right now. This very morning, if you've never accepted Christ, but you're willing to admit, you're willing to at least admit, I'm a sinful person and I need this kind of forgiveness. I need this gift then Christ will save you too. I'll give us all an opportunity to put our faith in Christ when I close in prayer in just a, just a moment. But first, let me summarize. As we've seen in Romans 5, we've proved our connection to the sin of Adam through our own ongoing sinfulness, by our own deliberate fault. On the other hand... We're able to show our connection to the faithfulness of Christ through faith. And if it's true that we're connected to the sin of Adam through our natural birth, it's also true that we're connected to the grace of Christ through spiritual rebirth. In Adam all die, but in Christ, all those who are born again by the Holy Spirit, and this happens how? Through faith, we can be made alive forever. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we just want to magnify your holy name. We want to exult in the good news this morning. We want to praise you for the free gift of God through Jesus Christ. No one took his life. He said that he could call a legion of angels to his aid. No one took his life. He laid it down on his own sovereign accord. It wasn't just some kind of tragedy. It wasn't just a miscarriage of justice. He did it because he loves us. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your great love for us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because your word says that 
God, you are reconciling the world to yourself in Christ. Lord, I pray that everyone who is hearing my voice this morning or who will hear my voice would come to believe in that glorious news, have their sins forgiven, their sins wiped away. Lord, would we not hold back the truth that we are sinners, that we have been thieves, that we have been liars, Lord, that we have been accusers, Lord, that we have been oppressors, Lord, that we have done wrong and neglected to do right, Lord, would we not hold back that truth, but would we give you the glory? Would we say that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for me? Lord, would we not make Christ out to be a liar by saying that we have no sin, that we don't need a savior? Lord, unlike the Pharisees, would we admit, Lord, we have the virus, we have the coronavirus, and we need the inoculation that only you can bring. Lord, we need the healing that only you could bring. Would you save us, Lord, this morning? Save us, Lord, this morning. Save us through our federal head, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.